Section 43 of the Letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letters to the President de Mousseau. Footnote, Monsieur de Mousseau was President of the Chamber of Accounts of Montpellier. It appears that Madame de Savigny, at the time of her journey into Provence, had found him on terms of strict friendship with Monsieur and Madame de Grignon, and Monsieur de Vade and Corbinelli, and that she was so sensible of his worth and the charms of his mind as to enter into a correspondence with him. But we remark with astonishment that no mention is made of this interesting man in any of the preceding letters. Back to main text. From 1681 to 1682. Letter 1, Paris, Friday, January the 8th. 1681. I should be very sorry, sir, if our correspondence were to end with the Temple of Montpellier, and all you say to this effect in doing the honours of your letters by supposing the assurance of their continuance to contain a threat to me is so ungenerous that I should be disposed to scold you. Nor would the pretty turn you have given to this guarantee you from my reproaches were it not that the letter you have written to my son makes me eager to tell you how much it has delighted me. The neatness of the beginning has reminded me of our merry stories and of the beauty of the verses that made me regret that you have not continued them in good earnest. If you have done so, let us share the pleasure of reading them. The two Latin verses you explain are very just. In short, we esteem your verse, your prose, and all your productions. My son is still your adorer. My daughter admires and esteems you in the highest degree. I presume you know my own sentiments for you, and that you see plainly. There's not a family in the world who so justly appreciates your merit. You do the same in regard to Monsieur de Carcassonne by praising him as you do. The poor Chevalier has been here for these six weeks, laid up with the rheumatism. He receives visits from persons almost as lame as himself. Those who are left-handed show at least that their taste is right. You have returned Monsieur de Noailles to us in a very ill state of health. He has so violent an diarrhoea that it seems as if he had eaten to his own share all that he has expended at Montpellier. In short, he's been obliged to resign the staff, the staff that was the object of his love, the staff he went so far to assume, the staff which was the reward of all his other services. It is natural to suppose that he must be very ill when he gives it himself to Monsieur de Luxembourg. You say much in his favour when you speak of the distinction and expansion of heart he showed you. I wish his generosity had gone so far as to have induced him to return a mortified friend's visit. Footnote Anne Jules, Duc de Noailles, had been nominated to the command in Languedoc, of which 
the Duke de Maine, then too young to take it upon himself, had just been appointed governor. Preparations were making for the destruction of Calvinism. In conjunction with the Intendant Dagsall, father of the celebrated Chancellor, Noailles endeavoured for a long time to engage the court to employ mild measures, and even in the execution of the most rigorous, he at first showed some humanity, but he afterward became one of the most violent persecutors, and his dispatches, concerted with Louvois, did not fail to excite the king to rigours of which he too late repented. It appears that he thought he could not with propriety in the situation he held return the visit of Monsieur de Vade, then an exile, and whom Madame de Savigny designates by the title of the mortified friend, back to main text. I wish his generosity had gone so far as to have induced him to return our mortified friend's visit. Have I not heard you say that we ought to respect the unfortunate? It cannot be doubted that this has increased the mortification. I pity him for having suffered this feeling to take possession of him, and to have surmounted even his Christian philosophy. But I pity him still more if your heart be yet closed against him. A friend like you would be a true consolation in all his afflictions. Our friend, Corvinelli, is entirely occupied here with his affairs. He does wonders. He's become the best lawyer in Paris. And this qualification came to him unexpectedly, along with his peruke and Brandenburg, so that we should much sooner have taken him for a captain of cavalry than a man of business. It is thus the exterior often deceives us. If Monsieur de Vard had not thrown him into this employment, his gratitude and inclination would lead him straight to you. His heart is still perfect in all the moral virtues. They will become Christian virtues when it shall please Providence, whom we still adore, and who seems to treat you well by the sentiments it inspires you with. Adieu, my dear sir. We should have many things to say to each other if we met. Who knows that some day or other we may not? Our friend writes to you separately. So much the worse for him. He will not know that I have the pleasure of assuring you here of my sincere and faithful friendship. Letter 2, Paris, April the 17th, 1682 if you are alarmed at the appearance of my neglect, be assured, sir, it is a false alarm, and that appearances are deceitful. You do not suffer yourself to be forgotten. Roche, Cobière, Livre, and the days in which we have seen you are faithful guarantees of what I say, and I am certain you believe it, and that being so well informed on every other subject, Christian humility does not prevent you from knowing your own worth. It is a truth, therefore, you cannot be forgotten. Our friend and I have said a thousand times, let us write to this poor reprobate. But by continually delaying it, we've embarrassed ourselves 
by our miserable security. It seems to me as if Montpellier has given a great deal to the Jubilee. You know what a horror Corbinelli has of this sort of parade, which he calls hypocrisy. I do not know exactly how he has acted upon the occasion, and I have not dared question him, but considering the extreme respect he has for this holy mystery, and how rigorously he enters into the preparations for it, of which he will not abate a single iota, I have long been tempted to say to him, Basta la meta, the half is sufficient. For in fact, if all the faithful were to follow his ideas upon the subject, the ceremonials of religion would be done away. This is the inspiration of God, and whether it be light or dereliction, some great change must happen to alter his opinion. Monsieur de Vard has put the same question to him that you put to me on his jubilee. He has answered very honestly and has given me a probetatem semitipsum homo, which may occasion great reflections. This is all I can tell you. You know and love the soil, for indeed the more his heart is known, the more it must be admired. I perceive his departure approach, and I perceive it with sorrow. But what may not providence reserve for Monsieur de Vard? Monsieur de Bussy is recalled after an exile of eighteen years. He has seen the king who received him most graciously. These are times of justice and clemency. We not only do what is well, but what is perfectly well. I doubt not, therefore, that this poor exile's turn will come, and everyone else believes it so firmly that if anything can do him injury, it is this general report. Tell me the most agreeable truth I can hear in assuring me that the young people will bring from Languedoc all the politeness which failed them here. But note, this refers to the daughter and son-in-law of Monsieur de Vade, Monsieur and Madame de Rohn, who had spent six months with him at Montpellier, back to main text. They appear to me like the Germans who were sent to Angers to learn the language. They were Germans in manners, and if they had not learned them out of court, would seem to conduct themselves ridiculously. It is easy to comprehend that, having had so good a master as Monsieur de Vard for six months, they must have profited more than they had done during their whole life. Letter 3, Paris, May 26th, 1682 Were you not very much surprised, sir, to see Monsieur de Vard slip through your fingers, whom you had held so firmly for nineteen years? This is the time Providence had marked out for him. In reality, he was no longer thought of. He appeared forgotten and sacrificed to example. The king, who reflects and arranges everything in his head, declared one morning that Monsieur de Vard would be at court in two or three days. He said he had written to him by the post, that he wished to surprise him, and that for more than six months no one had mentioned his name to him. 
His Majesty was gratified. He wished to create surprise, and everyone was surprised. Never did intelligence make so great an impression, nor so great a noise as this. In short, he arrived on Saturday morning, with a head singular in its kind, and an old justocle à brevet, such as were worn in the year 1663. Footnote, this was a blue greatcoat embroidered with gold and silver, which distinguished the principal courtiers, and a special permission was necessary to wear it. The fashion had passed when Bard returned to court, back to main text. He set one knee to the ground in the king's chamber, Monsieur de Chateauneuf being the only person present. The king told him that while his heart had been wounded, he had not recalled him, but that now he recalled him with a whole heart, and he was glad to see him. Monsieur de Vard made an admirable reply, with an air of being deeply affected, and the gift of tears which God has given him produced no ill effect upon this occasion. After this first interview, the king caused the Dauphin to be called, and presented him to him as a young courtier. Monsieur de Vard recognised and saluted him. The king said to him, laughing, Vard, this is a blunder. You know that no one is saluted in my presence. Monsieur de Vard replied in the same tone, Sire, I have forgotten everything. Your Majesty must pardon me even thirty blunders. Well, I will, said the king, stop at the twenty-ninth. The king afterward laughed at his coat. Monsieur de Vard said, Sire, when a man is so wretched as to be banished from your presence, he is not only unfortunate, but he becomes ridiculous. All this was said in a tone of perfect freedom and playfulness. The courtiers performed wonders. He came one day to Paris and called upon me, I was just gone out to call upon him, but he found my son and daughter at home, and in the evening I found him at his own house. It was a joyful meeting. I mentioned our friend to him. What, madam, my master, my intimate friend, the man in the world to whom I owe the greatest obligations, can you doubt that I love him with my whole heart? This pleased me highly. He resides with his daughter at Versailles. The court goes today. I suppose he will return to catch the king again at Auxerre, for it appears to all his friends that he ought to take this journey, in which he will certainly pay his court well by bestowing the most natural praises on three little things, the troops, the fortifications, and his majesty's conquests. Perhaps our friend will tell you all this, and my letter be only a miserable echo, but at any rate, I have entered into the minutiae because I should like, on such an occasion, to be written to in the same style, and I judge you, my dear sir, by myself. I have often been deceived by others, but never by you. It is said that your worthy and generous friend, Monsieur de Noailles, has rendered very important services to Monsieur de Vard. He is so generous that it is impossible to doubt this. Monsieur de Cavisson has arrived. 
this must either break off or conclude our marriage. In reality, I'm weary of this tedious affair, and I'm not in a humour to talk of anything but Monsieur de Vard. Monsieur de Vard forever. He is the gospel of the day. Letter 4 Paris, July the 28th, 1682 You are going to hear a beautiful and an admirable story. Pay great attention to every circumstance attending it. The Prince de Conti, having expressed himself dissatisfied with the Chevalier de Lorraine, because he had said the Prince de la Roche-sur-Yon was in love with his wife, found an opportunity of telling him two days ago in the gardens of Versailles that he would do him the honour of fighting him, because he had offended him by his conversation, etc. The Chevalier de Lorraine thanked him for the honour he intended him, and wished to justify himself in what he had said, after which the prince told him that he might have Monsieur de Marson for his second who, hearing himself named, stepped forward and accepted the office without hesitation, desiring the Prince de Conti to allow Monsieur de Soissons to be the other second, as he had long been an enemy to their family. The proposal was yielded to, the party was formed, the place appointed, the hour chosen, and secrecy enjoined. Can you not fancy yourself in the times of the late Monsieur de Boutevier? Each went his way, but the Chevalier de Lorraine went straight to Monsieur, to whom he related the whole story, and Monsieur, the next moment, confided it to the King. You may guess what he said to his son-in-law. He talked to him for more than two hours, with more of gaiety than anger, but in a tone of authority, which must have caused great repentance. Here the affair ended. The public thinks the Chevalier de Lorraine ought to have refused upon the spot, instead of consenting and then betraying everything. But people of the trade think that a refusal would have excited some angry words from the prince and perhaps some menace not very easy of digestion and then to have such a stigma cast upon him, and from a man who is so much to be dreaded. In this way his conduct has been approved, and the more so because his courage is unquestionable. What say you to this affair? How does it appear to you to be handled? Alas, if that sainted princess were to descend from heaven and to find her dear son troubled with such impetuosity, do you not think she would retrace her steps from grief and affliction? You will talk this over with Monsieur de Vard. Would to God that the birth of a Duke of Burgundy, which is hourly expected, could restore it to us. End of section 43